Wesley Snipes on Woody Harrelson. He's a little rebellious. I ain't gonna hit him. Why not? Cause I'm gonna hit him. Woody Harrelson on Wesley Snipes. We don't agree on a thing. You gonna blame this on me too? Oh, this is definitely your fault. There's no telling what you're gonna get in this picture. But I hope it's genius. This Thanksgiving. What the hell are we gonna do? Go faster. Get on board. The funniest thrill ride of the holiday season. Money Train, rated R, at theaters Wednesday. Robbery on the downtown plat. Bingo, bingo. Come on, Grandma. They don't stop for lights. You know, this job can be hazardous to your health. They don't break for traffic. I say you guys are the best. Well, modesty prevents me. Well, no, it doesn't. We are the best. But beneath the streets, two cops rule the rails. Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson. I am getting excited. Money Train, rated R, at theaters, November 20th. Hey, now everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks podcast. I'm Trevor Robinson, sent over to Jason Robinson. Uh, we are the Robinson Brothers, and uh, he's going to let you know what's going on. We are going to be talking about the 1995 bomb, the theatrical tank, the turkey, bomb. the movie that made plenty of worst of 1995 lists. It's known as Money Train. It's uh, Wesley and Woody, or is it Woody and Wesley? Well, here's the trivia question for you. Let's start off like we always do. How many pairings of Wesley Woody have we gotten thus far? How many movies have they appeared um, in together? It's a fairly hmm. tricky question. That is because I'm sure they were cameo type things and stuff. So I don't know. My guess would be three. That's correct. Now, can you okay. name the third? I know you can do two. Give me, give me two. Give me the two obvious ones. Well, I mean, White Man Can't Jump, um, Money Train. Mm-hmm. 1986 comedy. Sports comedy. Oh, God. Fish out of water sports comedy. Centering around football. Come on. I mean, the only thing... Uh, um, it's there. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. It's, it's not the um, Burt Reynolds thing. Um, no, but you're close. Much older. You, if you if you flip Burt Reynolds into a female, you'd have this. Uh, I don't know. Stars Goldie Hawn. Uh, um, you come on, put your oh, video store knowledge to work here. Uh, you worked at plenty of yeah, video stores. Yeah, it's not going to come to me, but I do know. Um, you got this. Uh, it's never going to happen. <laughs> it's called Wild um, Cards. Wildcats. Excuse me, Wildcats. Thank you. I was going to say, you said Wild Cards, and I was like, oh, Wildcats, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> You saw the video box that was the second weird. I said it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, I saw it when he said Goldie Hawn. A fairly awful 1980s comedy where Goldie Hawn takes the job as a high school football coach, and Woody and Wesley are part of the team. I can't even recall if they have a scene together. I don't sure remember do. that movie, really, yeah. But really, their pairing of, of the basketball player, con men, hmm. hustlers, in White Men Can't Jump is what turned them into... A 90s screen duo, and really a very popular 90s screen duo, along the likes of Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, oh, I mean. uh, Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy. Well, I mean, it's, it's true. They were doing a lot of pairing the white guy with the black guy back then um, and having them, you know, basically know, the buddy I cop get, film. I, I wouldn't get too far ahead of myself by saying this made them super popular. I mean, they, they were in like two movies and the second one take. That's like saying Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan were a, a wildly popular duo. I would say that they were probably more popular than Wesley and Woody. <laughs> but there was this weird marketing thing with the Harrelson and Snipes that they they were known as like this screen duo for a while. And to be fair, you know the movie Play It to the Bone 
with Woody Harrelson right. and Antonio Banderas. I always thought that that would have been an infinitely more interesting movie and a better movie in a lot of ways if Wesley Snipes had played the Banderas role. If that had been Wesley and Woody going Maybe. up against I, yeah, each other. It, did, it does always feel like Banderas is a little out of place in that movie. And as much as I like Banderas as an action he's good. guy yeah. and an actor, he does feel off in that role. And I don't know if it's the way it's written yeah. um, or if it's just the, the way it's played or the energy that Banderas brings to it. So uh, maybe you might be right about that. And Snipes did a hell of a B-movie, boxing movie called Undisputed that I don't think it's enough love mm-hmm. uh, with Ving Rhames, a really good little gritty B-movie, a guy's movie. I mean, that one I'm sure gets a lot of love because it spawns several sequels. All of which don't really have anything to do with that original Wesley Snipes movie. Money Train, on the other hand, was not buried. This was given a very wide release on November 22nd, 1995, Thanksgiving weekend, a holiday weekend where it brought in a fairly disappointing $10.6 million, placing fourth for the weekend behind Toy Story, GoldenEye, and Ace Ventura Part Mm 2. It did come in ahead of Casino, which was on about a thousand fewer screens, and it did come far ahead from Nick of Time, which was a Johnny Depp thriller that was done in real time, which is actually Mm -hmm. kind of an interesting movie, and I I would argue more interesting than Money Train is, but this had the marketing push. This ended up with $35 total, which was against the $68 million budget. It made about $78 to $80 worldwide, depending on your source. But if you look at the adjusted number, the budget in today's money would be about $125 million, and the gross is about $75 million here in the U.S. So it may have made a little money back, but it lost it in the terms of marketing, prints, and advertising. So this is considered a bomb, rightly so, just from a financial standpoint. I mean, $68 million is a lot of money. This was an action thriller, though. This had a lot of set pieces and a lot of that to it. But also, you know, Snipes and Harrelson reportedly paid $5 million apiece. So that's, uh, you know, $10 million there. Jennifer Lopez worked for free, as women used to do in the 90s. <laughs> so <laughs> Chris Cooper's in this. Um, and, and so at this time, they wouldn't have demanded huge salaries or whatnot. But I'm sure Jennifer Lopez wasn't wildly cheap. So it's kind of a big budget movie for uh, for... It's such a weird movie. I don't really understand how this script made it off the first person's desk that it landed on. It is so weird. I don't, I don't want to skip over in terms of cast because you mentioned Harrelson, obviously Snipes, Jennifer Lopez in a very early role, Chris Cooper right, in a Chris very Cooper, early role. Very but early let's not role forget and... the convicted murderer himself, Beretta Robert Blake, who is creepy as shit. Robert Blake in is in this. He seems like he's ready to kill somebody in this movie. He seems unwound, unhinged, right? Is it just me? Yeah, he's a creepy bad guy. Well, he's, well, him and both, but that's what's kind of another weird thing about this movie is that it has like vil- like master villains in it, you know, yeah, like it, perhaps totally. superhero villains. It's, it's weird. Yeah, you know, let's, let's still focus a little bit here about the, the budget because I'm interested to know how even it's, you know, with 10 million going to, let's say 20 million of this is going to the cast, 5 million to the director. That's a lot of money on the action. And I don't think that the action set pieces in this movie are that good. Uh, I think that they're really pedestrian right. I think in a lot the, of the ways. the special effects I thought were pretty good, especially the, the train miniatures and stuff like that. So you didn't think those action sequences... I mean, I'll give you the torch stuff. That's relatively stupid. And there's a lot of running around. That's, that's kind of dumb. But the, the train stuff works. So this was written by Doug Richardson, who you said really you felt this was the first draft of. And he was a spec writer, meaning he kind of submitted these ideas to the studios and they got picked up. Well, this up. is eight movies in one. I mean, that's well, the problem he, with this movie. Well, he, he, was, he was responsible for <laughs> Die Hard 2, Bad Boys 1, and Hostage. 
um, to some degree, uh-huh. and I'm sure he script doctored on a lot of other things like uh, Welcome to Mooseport, and he did a rewrite on Die Hard 4. Those are all better movies, including Welcome to Mooseport, than Money Train, in my <laughs> opinion. I don't know, man. That that's real hit and miss right there. That's a that's some uh, some <laughs> some up and downs with this guy. <laughs> he must have a hell of an agent still scaling scripts after a couple of those movies. Yeah. But Money Train would not last long in the top ten. It fell out very quickly. Within four weeks, it was already out of the top ten, and quickly was released on home video shortly thereafter in uh, early 1996, the first quarter of 1996. And that's where I caught up with this. I did miss this in theaters. Did you see this initially in the movie oh, house, God, no. or did you catch this on video? Yeah, I saw this on video years after it had been released. Yeah, this wasn't something that I followed at all, but for obvious reasons, I guess. So there was no word of mouth on this movie. I remember it seeing posters for this, but that's about it. And I, I don't remember uh, any word of mouth, which makes sense. I remember the fall of 1995 being a somewhat disappointing season for me as, a, as an action moviegoer. And uh, all my guys mm-hmm. at that point were, were kind of in hibernation or releasing inferior product. That year we had Assassins with Stallone and Banderas, which yeah. was kind of underwhelming. Uh, Money Train was underwhelming. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Goldeneye. I know you, you like it quite a bit, but I think that Brosnan mm-hmm. uh, really hit it home with Tomorrow Never Dies and a couple other ones. But I, I was kind of underwhelmed by that in a lot of ways, too. So I, I just found this to be more of an underwhelm. And I felt like there was a lot of stagnation in action films of that period. In 96, it, it got a bit of it that got kicked away. And it, but it really then kind of resurfaced again until 99 when The Matrix changed the rules for things and set its own course and certain stagnation after that. But I did think that the star-driven action vehicle was starting to wane. And there's just certain things like I cringe in this movie when I hear him say, you're not gonna punch him, why not? Because I'm gonna punch him. I mean, have we not yeah. seen that in Tango and Cash and Lethal Weapon? I mean, I could name off the movies. But by the that- time that happens, at the very end of the movie, it's already like, all right, what do you just do whatever you want. They do it in the beginning too, they do it twice in that fucking oh, movie. Oh, do they do it in the beginning? That's how we, I was like, oh my, you're trashing it out again? Jesus Christ here. But that's kind of, I mean, they play off each other through the whole movie like that in ways that that whole scene where they're fighting and the guys walk up and pull guns on and try to rob them in the middle of the street goes on forever. Ever. And this is my point of bringing up the scriptwriter Doug Richardson, is because I feel like a lot of this movie was quote unquote ad libbed. I think it was. But it feels, if anything, that this was, yep. and it doesn't have the kind of spark and energy that, let's say, Martin and Will Smith had in the first Bad Boys, where. You know, you know mm-hmm. these guys have chemistry, but for whatever reason in this movie, I find the Woody Harrelson character to be extremely obnoxious. Extremely. I think Who's they're the both main annoying in this. Here? Who do you think is the uh, main character? Well, Who both do you identify of them. With? I mean, I, I do think that that's, you know, they're foster brothers. I think they're both the main characters in this, which makes it really difficult because it ping pongs back and forth on them. Like, as far as like who gets the girl, first of all, I, as some, should we just go through the story of this fucking movie? They're undercover cops who work in the subway system. They pretend to be drunk so that people will rob them and they can arrest them. Right. I mean, that's, that's their jobs. That's what they do. Oh yeah. They're, they're really um, stopping a lot of crime. Rid- Those guys are getting three weeks in the fucking slammer. It's ridiculous. Slammer. Nobody does. This is ridiculous. And so, uh, JLo is, a new officer that comes in, and so they uh, they have a like a, a love triangle thing that's not really a love triangle. She's not interested in Harrelson at all, so there is no triangle. 
I know, but because those two are brothers and, and he's like, who's, uh, he wants the girl. And, but then, then like, uh, you know, Wesley Snipes is going to get the girl. And it's like, uh, well, he makes, okay, so this is nonsense. Say? And they have that big fight we just talked about. They have a long fight that turns out to not be a real fight. And then you have on top of this, you have the torch, which is a guy who goes around and burns a token taker. People robs him and then shoots fire into them. And J Lo is of course, subbing in working in as, as as one of the token takers so they can catch this torch guy or whatever and that so that goes down but that's not the movie that's not the movie because the movie's called money train <laughs> so what i just described to you is an entire movie it's actually two movies really but we have a third movie here and it's all about them deciding to rob the money train which is woven into this whole rest of this shit and you have the whole moment of the planning of the heist and doing My man, it's, it's you are forgetting something else an entirely different oh, movie as well I can't. Oh, where which Woody one? Harrelson has a severe gambling addiction and he can't hold right. on to money and he's a total fuck up and he's nearly killed in the beginning mm-hmm. Except for a gambling debt that's paid off by Wesley Snipes, yeah. which really isn't touched on again ever. He just kind of miraculously leaves himself well, of that of debt the, or that. It's part of the money train thing, and it's also part of the why the Wesley Snipes uh, character is better than him, right? Like, they definitely take the the Woody Harrelson character and make him out to be this piece of shit, just no good person. They don't even redeem themselves in the end. And oh, and then we forgot to mention you right, you have the evil bad guys, right? So you have the torch and he's kind of running around doing his own movie thing. You know, you have Robert Blake as you know doing his own thing. And they all seem to be they all feel like they're in separate movies, like but they crash into each other. Uh, that's so signified in the sequence when the torch is going after the token taker across the railway from where Snipes is doing his his shtick at his drunken arresting shtick right. and you feel like oh these movies are like cross intersected and he's not a good cop because this is happening and they're worried about these guys stealing a fucking watch and this guy's committing murder across the str- across the, the railway here so these movies have an odd interaction and then on top of it they try yeah. to throw in this comedic tone every once in a while and then you have Snipes uh-huh. posturing his 1990s Nino Brown posturing which comes off as bad acting you know, machismo bullshit it, it really comes off as, as stale what i'm saying is that everyone should watch money train because this is an incredible fucking movie I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's mind-blowing it's mind-blowing that anyone could make this that, that this would be a story that would that would get made and that, it, that you would cut this together and then show it to someone I mean, this is one of the most insane movies i've ever seen it's subpar on a lot of levels. You lose the plot strands if you're not paying attention. This is the kind of movie that will show you a graphically violent scene and then will stop mm-hmm. to have a sequence where Jennifer Lopez dances salsa with Wesley Snipes. And then as he leaves, he says something to her in Spanish, which is cut so poorly, it looks like he just randomly says it. I laughed out loud twice. I've watched this movie now twice leading up to this. I watched it once on an iPad. And I have to admit, it didn't play that well. And when I watched it later on a bigger screen in widescreen, which is actually the first time mm-hmm. I've ever seen this in widescreen because I've only seen this on Pan and Scan VHS release back in the day, it actually yeah. played a lot smoother, a lot quicker, a lot more fleet of foot on a bigger screen. So maybe that hid some of the inconsistent tone, oh, yeah. some of the pacing and inconsistent tone. Well, and- it is a big screen movie. There are It has big explosion. It has big sound to it. There's a lot of yeah, sound mixing was. in this movie because of the, uh, I guess, well, they're in the sub and stuff so there's and there's a lot going on there's a lot of foot chases there's a lot of this that and the other and like we said there's there's every time these stories intersect it's kind of like a 
just an oddity that you're yet you though it's hard to look away from this movie uh, um i don't know it, it is a strange movie I, I mean they they say alejandro yodorarsky uh you know had to walk out on this because he couldn't handle it <laughs> i didn't know that but i love right. hearing that of course no it's I, not I, true I, you know what i mean i love that <laughs> him though. and david lynch they were like i don't get it what's we don't understand what's happening well i believe that robert lake uh, robert blake probably invited david lynch and said hey come look at this meta movie i'm doing <laughs> nobody knows what the fuck's going right. on it'd be amazing if it works is it a buddy cop comedy is it a serious drama it's you everything <laughs> we and don't i think know. the most interesting uh, aspect in a lot of ways of this movie because it's so outlandish is is my amazement at who is dressed Woody Harrelson in this movie. The wardrobe designer should have been shot. Himself. Put him in Kango hats. It has to be himself, right? He is trying to hold on to every scrap of hair he has in this movie, and it is Mm -hmm. embarrassing. His look is off. He looks like Jack Nicholson in The Joker many times in this movie. I kept thinking, hey, maybe they missed the boat by not casting Harrelson as the Joker at some point, because with that wide smile and weird grin and his acting ability, he probably would have been a good one. The pairing here sours. The, The charm isn't here. The charisma. Both of them look like they're collecting a paycheck. They look like they know that they're in a dud. This, to me, stinks of a studio that was in a rush to get a tentpole release out by November to get their Christmas or their their Thanksgiving blockbuster out there and they just okayed something that was undercooked and half-baked and not ready for big screens. But they threw a lot of fucking money at it hoping I mean, it would work. I, I agree. And, and Joseph Rubin yeah. has no business directing this movie. Why would you... This is not somebody who's proven himself over and over again as a, as a quality action director. I, I know he has not done anything really of note before or since a couple of, of small things here and there. Remember this movie causing a big stir because Bob Dole got on TV and condemned this because there was a string of New York right. city because of the torch attacks. stuff. Yeah. In this mimicked that, which was kind of bizarre. And then do you know about the, that this is actually no longer in existence that the money train doesn't exist anymore? No, I mean, I, well, they all use card stuff, electronic stuff, don't they? The Metro card, yeah. So there's no reason to yeah. collect the actual physical change and whatnot. So. I mean, this is 1995, man. This is an unconnected world. <laughs> it, it's such an outlandishly little film that there's so so many oddities in it. There's a sequence there right before when, when Snipes and Harrelson are leaving the bar after they both made their first bid at Lopez and they're deciding that Snipes has had it easier in life somehow because he's less of a fuck up apparently. And yeah. he's going to back off and let Harrelson go after Lopez. And when they're right before they're jumped by these muggers, which actually has comedic elements in it, but just like you said, is cut badly and goes on too long. It, there's a part where Snipes takes a piss on a, like a car and, and yeah. Wood Harrison has a weird throwaway line about it but it has nothing to do with anything and I kept thinking they're cops like they, they wouldn't behave like what the fuck is why is this in here it's like there's so many moments like that where you think this needs a trim that needs a trim and 110 minutes this thing is overstuffed to the gills with eight movies running concurrently within it I guess I should be happy yeah. it's not two hours and 20 minutes right I'd like to see the the longer cut what what ended up on the cutting room floor? That's that's my question. You know, I bet there were ten more movies yet to be told. I know this is a Sony movie, but if this was on HBO, we could release it as a miniseries. Come on, the Ruben cut. How's that? That sounds great, right? The Ruben cut. That doesn't sound bad. Yeah, I don't think he has any sort of pull in Hollywood. His no. his really his biggest movie was Sleeping with the Enemy or The Good Son, depending on your love of '90s films. But he was yeah. also responsible for Breaking Away and. Dreamscape. Some people used to like that. The stepfather was actually good, but I think that was more to do with the lead performance by the fella from Lost. I can't recall his name right now, but uh, good actor. 
mm-hmm. and Re- Return to Paradise. Did you ever see that? I think that's actually a pretty kick-ass little movie with uh, Vince Vaughn, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. That's a good movie. I don't think that movie gets enough credit. If you guys are out there listening and you want a good recommendation, try to find Return to Paradise, a movie about some friends that come back from Thailand only to find out that their buddy has been stuck in a jail with all the drugs that they left him and that they can mm-hmm. go back and do prison time with him or get killed. That was like that one. Broke Down Palace was very similar Broke to that Down as well. Palace. So he's done some films, but I don't think he has the kind of pull to get something like that made. Let's take a quick break and listen to Ebert and Siskel, or Siskel and Ebert if you like, talk about the worst films of 1995, which include Money Train. Here we're calling our next category Bad Career Move Movies. These are movies that star actors with talent who never should have gotten within a million miles of these scripts. For example, take Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. They work great together in White Men Can't Jump, but what were they doing in Money Train, a goofy action picture set below the streets of New York with Snipes and Harrelson and yet another one of those endlessly recycled cop buddy formula pictures. Money Train got blamed by some politicians for copycat attacks on subway token booths soon after the movie was released. It wasn't clear whether the attackers had seen the movie or not. What bothered me about those scenes was that they were too gruesome and violent to belong in what was essentially intended as a silly buddy action comedy. How can a movie be funny when it keeps cutting to terrible violent images like that? Why is that kind of stuff thought of as amusing? Because they knew the script is dying, the writer, okay, and the director, it's dying, put in something that will jolt the audience and keep it going. Cool. Uh, That's sick. But getting back to the larger point of these actors, okay, mm-hmm. they, it, it's arrogance. They are so force-fed uh, compliments out there mm-hmm. that they think anything that they improvise together, any bickering at all, yeah. well, Snipes, will work. Snipes, will work. Snipes and Harrelson presumably thought that because they were so good and white men can't jump, it was because they, when they're on the screen together, are good. Yeah. If they were to listen to everything they said in that movie and then listen to everything they say in this movie, they would find that there was a big different element involved and it didn't have anything to do with them it had to do with whether or not the movie was worth making in the first place all right and we're back listening to ebert and roper or ebert and siskel i should say they really were fairly rough on money nobody cares about roper yeah really he's a fucking hack uh in i don't think that the movie is as bad as they say i i do think it's one of the less successful movies in 1995 but i wouldn't put it on the scale of the Scarlet Letter and Tank Girl and other movies from that era or that year that were horrendous. Uh, this is just entertainingly bad, I'd say. I think the, I, I think it's an interesting movie. I I don't know. I, I don't hate this movie. It's hard to say this is a good movie. Don't you think the, the last shot nullifies everything that happens previously? Yeah. That, that irritates me mm-hmm. both times I watched this movie and when I think it back originally when I watched this movie because it, nobody has changed for, for, for better or worse. No, that's what I'm saying. Thing. They don't redeem. The, the, the Woody Harrelson ca- character is made to be an asshole and, and so is the Wesley Snipes character is an asshole to him. Yeah. Right? He, he Not only is he better than him, but he knows he's better than him. They're just like, well, whatever. <laughs> so it's all good. We know, we know what we are. There's no redemption here. I imagine they just walk right, they just walk away, and that's the beginning of Money Train 2, right? just keeps going forever. Well, that's what Doug Richardson, I'm sure, uh, pitched, and I'm sure everybody else involved with this was. They're like, hey, sequel, Money Plane. Oh, God, I forgot that exists. That doesn't, that actually has nothing to do with this, right? (laughs) No. 
Okay, wow. 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 <laughs> well, this did get some good notices here and there, hard to believe. Stephen Holden of the New York Times said it's more viscerally charged than speed and hipper than Die Hard with a Vengeance. This movie is a careening, screeching joyride that showers sparks like fireworks. Not sure what kind of edible marijuana treat he was on at that time, but um, he's sorely mistaken on both of them. He's just sitting there, just sparks are flying by his face. He's like, yes, shower me in your sparks. Uh, Mick LaSalle of the San Francisco Examiner, my local film critic who I grew up looking at his reviews, called it a cut above the usual buddy cop fill due to the chemistry in its well-crafted action scenes. I also think that he is far mistaken on that. Uh, Kenneth Turan, who coincidentally loves every Jean-Claude Van Damme film ever made. It's fucking hilarious. I mean, seriously, everyone, including Universal Soldier The Return, uh, his quote on that is, this is one welcome return. The only critic in the nation who gave that a positive review. <laughs> Although he got this one right and said that Money Train is a by-the-numbers by action buddy picture, an acceptable if undemanding venture. And I think that pretty much hits it right on the head. Entertainment Weekly gave it a D plus and called it a big, noisy headache of a movie. And, you know, none of those are particularly as scathing as Bob Dole calling for a boycott of the film because of uh, the flammable liquid that was flown on the ticket teller and the, the murder of that person. Mm -hmm. So it, it did get some some press and some notoriety. And I, they always say any press is, is good press, but do you think that that helped or hurt the film or do you think that it had no consequence whatsoever on this movie? I don't think it mattered. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I mean, honestly, most of the political stuff like that, for the most part, doesn't really do anything. Except nowadays, you know, if you grab someone by the butt or something, then yeah, you you deserve to be ostracized, and um, your all your movies should fail. Well, this was also during the era when it was very popular to go after the violence on television and film, music, right, and video it did games. Nothing. I mean, yeah, that's I mean, what I'm saying. But the political stuff, yeah, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't do anything. People are going to watch this stuff, irregardless. And my point with the whole cancellation thing is that it doesn't. That doesn't work either, unless the uh, studios play ball with it. But I, it, you know, there have been so many people who have. Uh, it's like if Johnny Depp were, were in to be in another Pirates of the Caribbean movie, it would make as much money as a, a new Pirates of the Caribbean movie starring Johnny Depp would make, irregardless of any of the, the issues yeah. that he's having. To be fair to this movie, a lot of movies, like I said, were getting attacked at that time, uh, latched on to other things. Just in April of 95, sure. Die Hard with a Vengeance came under criticism because it was released, you know, unbeknownst to the, the producers or anybody scheduling these movies, it was released uh, less than a month after the Timothy McVeigh Oklahoma City bombing. So they were trying to say, mm -hmm. well, a Mad Bomber movie maybe isn't the best time after this. But, you know, the movie came out. It did what it was going to do. And I don't think it had much of an, an effect. And there's really no correlation They've to that in my mind. Had those types of things. I, when, when Joker came out, right, they've, they've always tried to tie uh, movies like that to real life things. And it just it doesn't work. It's not because it's not true. Well, <laughs> I've, never tied, I've never tied I've never tied Die Hard to the to that bombing. I've never tied Money Train to this. I never tied Fight Club or The Matrix to Columbine. But I will say this. Right. When I do watch The Dark Knight Rises, I do think of that poor crowd that was shot up by that crazy son of a bitch in Colorado. That is something that sticks with me and it did it did a uh, kind of flavor my enjoyment of that movie when I saw it in theaters. It was in the back of my mind the whole time. And just because it was a nihilistic dark movie mm -hmm. as it is, and then to have that overtone, and I know a lot of people were, were thrown off by that. I mean, but the point is you still watched it, and, and still yes, watch it, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was like the shooting that happened just here uh, during the Purge uh, Unbelievable. Uh, showing. 
Unbelievable. Which is horrible and terrible, but it didn't have anything to do with the movie, you know. But you might still, uh, in your mind, some of those things might relate in that way, but they aren't directly related, right? Is this the I, point? I, let me tell you this. My girlfriend's son works at a movie theater. He told me they had a had a close down for an active shooter in the building recently. And that just mm-hmm. freaks me the fuck out because the movie theater is my church. It's my reprieve. It's my fortress of solitude. It's where I go to, to really be engulfed and to lose yeah. myself and to have to worry about my peripheral, what's going on and to have my guard up the whole time makes me not, it makes me enjoy it a little bit less. It takes the magic away from it. And I'm sure things were always uh, rough. I mean, I saw two guys get in a fist fight at Die Hard when I was a kid in 1988, I saw my dad kick the shit out of a guy in a movie theater mm-hmm. once when I was a kid. So I'm not a stranger to violence in movies. I've had problems with guys in movies before, but when you're talking about being shot over something or, or whatever, that's when you know the blood pressure raises and the awareness kicks in and I just can't sit back. And I gotta be honest, it's a little bit nicer to be able to sit here and watch Fast 9 uh, with a with an edible and, and to lose myself in the ridiculousness of yeah, that I mean, world. I agree. You know, I hate to say that, but it's getting to that point as a societal thing. You look at, and I don't want to get too far off topic, you look at planes and and the way people are behaving to one another. But it's 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 far more safer today, even regardless with with, um, the things we're talking about. I I believe it's safer today than it would have been in the mid-90s to go to a theater. Probably, Um, yeah. There was... uh, It was gang shootings back then. Oh, yeah, I remember going to... uh, Yeah, I remember going to theater sometimes, and some of the theaters would be so full... Um, and they would be, and it would be full of gang members, um, and yeah. people would get in fights. But they would be sitting like on the steps, um, so you couldn't get out. It was, it would have been crazy if anything had actually gone the down. The last time but I people saw sat there in a crowded theater like that, people would smoke pot and stuff in the mid '90s, and you'd be like, uh, "Okay." <laughs> I was in the board like, ultimatum fearless. on opening weekend, and a brawl broke out in the lower tier. And I had to grab uh, my girlfriend at the time and hit the exit because all hell, it was probably 450 people in that theater and all hell was breaking loose. And it was one of the scariest fucking moments and being in a darkened theater and motion coming from every way and things flying. And it was just, uh, so I I hate to say that because I love the the magic of the film and I still Mm -hmm. go back to movies after all these experiences. Of course. (laughs) I mean, the, the past 10 years going to theaters and, and going out and going around I, I've it's been much safer I, like I've noticed that, the, that it, we live in a safer world but there's still people who uh, obviously yeah I mean if you want to google crazy. violence in movie theaters that shit goes back to the 1960s it's unbelievable so yeah. you can google all sorts of horror stories it well, is we had way is, more but... of a problem around this area in the 90s with, with gang uh, and just violence in general and gun violence and stuff than well, yeah, we you're do Southern today California. So, yeah that's um, 100% so, yeah. true well, that's going to wrap up our episode on Money Train. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this retro podcast. We, uh, I enjoyed looking back on this, but I cannot recommend this to anybody that's not an aficionado of cheesy 90s action films. If you are, this is right up your alley. Um, and if you are, you might actually, this might not be up your alley. So <laughs> give it, it a shot. Though. Everyone's alley. Show the uh, kids. It's a great family movie. This just hopped off of <laughs> HBO Max. It's currently streaming on Amazon Prime. So if you want to go back and give mm-hmm. this a watch after you listen to this podcast, feel free to do so. Hit us up on MovieMavericks.com. Let us know if you agree with us. Uh, like, subscribe, listen to the last podcast. Uh, let us know if we're way off track here or if we're hitting the hammer on the head of the nail. Speaking for Trevor Anderson, I am Jason Rugard, and we are the Movie Mavericks.